Hello and welcome to Learning More with the Core, your community health core podcast. My name is Keely Hancock and I'm a current social work intern with Community Health Core, East Texas's local mental health and IDD authority. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Trisha Thompson, Community Health Core's LCDC. Ms. Trisha is a native of Marshall, Texas and attained her associate's degree in occupational studies and alcohol and drug counseling and graduated from LCDC College in 2013. Ms. Thompson has been with CHC for nearly six years where she began working with Oak Haven Recovery Center in Marshall and then Outpatient in Longview where she worked with TDCJ as well. Currently, she works at Kirkpatrick Family Center where she counsels women and mothers struggling with substance abuse. So please enjoy Ms. Trisha Thompson. Good morning, Ms. Trisha. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thank good. you for coming on. Yes. Can you first tell people what LCDC stands for? It is a licensed chemical dependency counselor. And it is a, it's an associate, you have to have an associate's degree, and it is a licensure. Okay, and you've used that for a long time, it seems like. Like you were an inpatient, outpatient, and right. now here. Yes. What's the difference in all that, like comparing inpatient and outpatient and all that? So inpatient, what we have at Kirkpatrick Family Center is intensive residential substance use disorder. So Kirkpatrick is a facility for women with their children. Mm-hmm. We house upwards of eight to 10 ladies in the home depending on the ages of the children that we have at the time. Mm -hmm. So if we have the older children, we can't have as many women, but you know, if we have younger children, toddlers and under, um, we can house more women. Outpatient, I had a collection of men and women that I treated. Here it's just women, so that's one difference. And then the other difference, of course, is that the ladies here stay here. Mm -hmm. You know, we have outside activities for them to do, but with outpatient, it's more like they come see you for about an hour, do some groups with you, mm-hmm. and then they go back out into, quote unquote, the real world, yeah. where that becomes a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And with TDCJ, can first, okay, the acronym, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Criminal Justice. Mm-hmm. And they're basically, they're coming off parole or they're coming with parole parole or probation okay um and that is a phase program Mm -hmm. which means that they start somewhat intensive and phase themselves out some of the tdcj programs are a lot longer our program here is 90 days regular outpatient is 90 days some of those programs can last nine months to a year yes yeah and they use a lot of the seeking safety curriculum they do and and they have a whole different curriculum as well okay so all of that is more approved we are hhsc mm-hmm. which is state funded mm-hmm. where tdcj has their own curriculum and their own standards that yeah. you have to follow okay mm-hmm. okay cool so with substance abuse and mental health is there really like any way to divide the two or are they co-occurring i know the misconception is this person's just doing drugs because i want to you know but is that always the case? I, I think that as a counselor, you have personal feelings about that, and then you have evidential-based feelings about that. Yeah. The evidence shows that substance abuse disorder can be genetic. Mm-hmm. It also can be a learned behavior. So I think everyone is very different, and I think that that's really important for everyone to look at when they're looking at substance use disorder. 
as a whole, you know, it, it, you cannot treat everyone as equal, you know. So some people, that's all they know. Some people come into the world addicted, and some people, that's all they know. Their parents have used, their grandparents have used, their siblings used, their aunts, their uncles, everyone they come in contact with. Yeah. Right. And then you have people that try at one time. And, you know, and I think that that's the interesting part is you have the weekend warriors. You know, they can use once a month and they don't have any other problems with substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. You have some people that use one time and they're addicted. So that, I think that's more of the co-occurring really because nine people out of 10 have some type of disorder, whatever that may be. It may be uh, depression, it may be, and they may have developed a disorder from having something happen in their lives such as PTSD, yes. And so that is a quick fix to a permanent problem. Mm. You know, everyone wants a quick fix. Yeah. (laughs) So that's where the substance use disorder comes in. Yeah. And they start using, some of them start using at the age of 10, 12 years old. And that's where the maturity level stops. Mm -hmm. So we don't mature any farther than that. So then by the time you're 24 and you have three kids and you have three CPS cases, you're not real sure how you got there. So that's where I think substance use disorder counseling comes into play. It's taking them back to where did it all start and how are we going to cope? Not treat. I mean, it is treatment, but it's, it's learning to cope with what we have going on. Uh, appropriately so that we can move forward healthy in our lives so and that is addiction lifelong or is there ever like a end point I believe there's an end point there was an end point for me yeah so I uh, I have been clean since 2009 Mm -hmm. it's a struggle every day it's a process every day but that's like saying that someone can't lose weight or saying that someone can't change their lives, you know, or saying that someone can't change a job. Nothing is permanent. Yeah. And there's always room for growth and change if you want to be open to that. Okay. What about the rock bottom theory? Like everybody has to hit rock bottom or they're never going to look for help or nothing's ever going to change. You hear that a lot. Well, they just haven't hit the rock bottom. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I think that there is some truth to it, but I also think that everyone has a stereotypical thought process of rock bottom. You know, our media has publicized what substance use disorder looks like and what maybe drug addiction looks like. We have shows like Intervention. Mm-hmm. We have shows on A&E. We have different shows that show all of these things that is not true. You know, that is not what substance use disorder always looks like. Yeah. You know, or you have shows that show... A, People that are laid out all over the street. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but that isn't always how it looks. So one person, again, could have six CPS cases Mm -hmm. and they're dealing with it and they have another child and they decide to use again. One person has a CPS case, they decide that's enough and they change their lives. So I think it has everything to do with opportunity, a loving and caring environment and someone that really wants to do better you know, with their life. Okay. Let's start with Community Health Corps. What services is Community Health Corps providing for those who are struggling with substances? Um, Community Health Corps has, of course, uh, Kirkpatrick Family Center, which is where I work. That's an intensive residential treatment for women and children. Mm-hmm. They have outpatient, Longview, Tyler, Texarkana. They have 
And, and you know, the interesting part, um, we did have detox, residential detox with Oak Haven, but that's gone. I believe the ambulatory detox program is up and running. What is that? It's, it's a program where someone comes in, mm-hmm. sees a counselor, gets their medicine every day. It's, it's kind of like a Suboxone program in a way. Okay. And again, I'm not sure if that's up and running. That is through the 4th Street office. And I don't know if that's up and running 100% at this point, okay. but but I know that Community Health Corps was in the works with that. Okay. COVID has slowed a lot of things down. Yeah, that's everybody who's come on the podcast right. has said that. Right. <laughs> so, okay, we've given a broad overview. So when people come to outpatient, mm-hmm. what services are they getting? What's helping them? What have you seen that's helped people the most? Is it even that broad or is it individual? Is it unique to the individual? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's unique to the individual because you're going to get what you work at, you know, and that's what it's important to understand when you're dealing with the individuals that we, we deal with and we, we help. Yeah. It's important to find out where they're at, you know, their stage of change, where they're at in their life to meet them where they are so that they are able to get the help that they, they need. Again, I've seen people come through outpatient six and seven times and then I've had people that come through outpatient one time and they get their life together so it just depends on kind of where they're at you know I think as a counselor we try to be superheroes (laughs) sometimes and we have to step back and realize that it's not our treatment and we cannot work harder than they work because sometimes sometimes and I've never understood loving someone to death until I got into this program until I got into this field because that's what people have done their whole lives for them. They mm-hmm. have babied them. They have, you know, and, and you have people who do love them. Some of them have parents that love them. You know, they come and they say, I need $20 for gas. $20 is not going in the gas tank. Mm-hmm. You know, $20 is going to their habit. And so it's important not only just to help them, but also to help the families involved understand what addiction looks like because not everyone comes from a family who's addicted. So I think that that becomes very important as well to help them with their resources and help them with the the individuals that they may be going back to whether it's their family their friends their significant other whatever that is i like how you said habit you know because i always try to make sure i'm politically correct is it appropriate to say a i guess person first language a person who struggles with addiction so we used to use it's substance use disorder now yeah. But it used to be... Oh, but that word disorder is like, something's wrong with you, you know? And, and, it, and it is. But it's better... A lot of people take offense to saying addict. Yeah. Because you're labeling someone. Yeah. Most people take that they have a disorder or they have a issue with something a lot better than they do, say, just sticking them in a box. Because addict, to most people, is a very final word. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds very final to people. Yeah. This is what I am. This is my label. I'll never change. I'll never change. No one's giving me the opportunity to if change. If that's the case, why even try to quit? Right. Yeah. Where disorder, you know, disorder as a whole means out of order. Mm. But once you put things in order, it's no longer in disorder. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, but that's just me saying that. I don't know. And, and generally, we ask them, how would you like for me to refer to what we have going on yeah you know and i ask them what brings you here yeah you know i don't say well okay so you have drug problems you know that's that's not because that's no. that's not okay no it's you know it's important to let them define to you what 
is going on with them. Okay. And I like that habit. I mean, even just saying, yeah, we got a not so great habit, but you know what? We're going to work on it. And, it, and, and I found that that word works better. I do too. With a lot like of that. our, with a lot of the individuals we serve. Yeah. Everything starts with language and how right. we think about things. Because right. our brain, unfortunately, has to put everything in a box and give it a label. So it's important to be mindful of how we are describing these populations. Correct. I'm trying to hit all the stigmas here because the point of this podcast is to destigmatize mm-hmm. the programs that we're talking about. And so I try to think of all the horrible stigmas that people have about substance abuse and how well they just need to get over it and they just don't have enough willpower and this and this and that in your experience what where do you go when you hear things like that well let's think about it like this when you are hungry and someone tells you they're going to roadhouse and they're getting a nice juicy succulent steak that's cooked just perfect with a golden baked potato with sour cream butter and cheese (laughs) and the cheese is just ever so slightly melting off the potato and they have this gorgeous roll that is soft and warm with this butter that has this cinnamon and sugar and yumminess in it that just melts and it's the smell is just delightful and then you get this great chocolate chip cookie that is soft and warm and delicious and there's just perfectly the right amount of chocolate for the cookie mm-hmm. do you think about eating it for sure that's what people look at drugs as because in their mind that's how they see it so if i tell you you're hungry and you're wrong for not wanting a steak mm-hmm. how are you going to criticize someone else for the desires that they have. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between the two is one is publicized, one is is socially correct, and society says it's okay. Exactly. The other one, we have TV shows about, Mm -hmm. police stop you on the side of the road and you lose your kids. Mm -hmm. But as an addict, your mind doesn't flip that way all the time. Mm -hmm. Because what makes you feel good is what you do. Mm -hmm. And the steak from Roadhouse when you get finished eating it, makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. So there's no difference between that and methamphetamine, marijuana, or heroin to a, to someone who uses substances. Yeah. There's well, no difference. One just harms you a little bit quicker. Maybe. Maybe. When I was in college, I wrote a paper about people's desires. And I had a really good teacher. And she was like, okay, I need you to look up habits, addictions, and all the forms. Mm-hmm. And I need you to do research on that. And... There is not a human being on the face of the planet that is walking that does not have a thing. Mm -hmm. Now, whatever you want to call it, and I say thing very broadly and very loosely. Some people it's chocolate. Some people it's Twinkies. Some people it's cake. Some people it's It's drugs. Some people it's the gym. Some people it's sex. Mm -hmm. Some people it's alcohol. Whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to keep that in mind. That everyone has a thing. Mm-hmm. And even when people get off drugs and alcohol, the brain has compartments. Mm-hmm. And in those compartments, drugs and alcohol fill up a section. Mm-hmm. Well, when you remove the drugs and alcohol, something else has got to go in that section. So that's where the life skills and the compartmentalizing and the understanding how your brain works starts to play in because at that point, you can put something else there. But you have to understand that you have to limit it. Everything has to be healthy boundaries and healthy, like everything has to be in healthy doses, so to speak. Yeah. And to be fair, most of us don't do that. 
No. I don't do that now as a counselor. (laughs) No. I don't do that now as a counselor. So I'm trying to teach people things, and and I do it because I want them to be better. Mm -hmm. But with that being said as well, as a counselor, sometimes that helps you better too. Because I've never had had an individual that I've served that I haven't learned from. Mm -hmm. Something. Whether it be being humble or finding God or who they are or seeing them reunite with their children. I learn something from every single individual that I serve. Mm -hmm. And I think that that I never want to lose that as a counselor. Because once you lose that, you don't have anything left. Yeah. What left? I mean, what do you have to give, too? Right. See, and this is why I wanted you on here, because you're okay. this honest. Okay. And I appreciate it. No, yeah. really. The the reality you bring us back to, you ground us. You put this on terms that everybody can understand. Okay, we know that this habit for or reaches a, a big population. So how do we, as a society and as humans, change it? Does it start with education? Does it start with policy? Does it start with advocacy? I mean, how do we help those that want to be helped? Well, first and foremost, I think it starts with an understanding that we are all human beings. Mm-hmm. And, I, and just like the healthy lifestyle that I was talking about before, where everything has to fall into place perfectly, all of that has to fall into place perfectly. And in a perfect world, it would. You know, I think in the past, people have looked at substance use and from my opinion, if, if everyone started following the rules, mm-hmm. we wouldn't need TDCJ. Right. Exactly. If, if, if we did not have offenders, mm-hmm. we would not have a jail. And I think a lot of society has looked at substance use the same way. If we don't have people that are addicted to drugs, we're not going to have a job. Well, I would love to not have a job, personally. <laughs> like, I would be cool sitting at the house. Yeah. I would be cool bagging groceries at the Kmart. Like, I would be fine doing whatever. Yeah. And in a perfect world, we wouldn't. But we have doctors who prescribe medication that is not needed mm-hmm. because people can pay cash for it. Mm-hmm. We have politicians, movie stars, doctors, lawyers. You know, we treat everyone. Mm-hmm. No one is exempt from this. And until we start opening the stigmas up and making people feel like they matter and that this is not something that is a death sentence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. To some people it is, but it doesn't have to be. I think it goes back to like, even on housing, they'll ask, have you ever had substance use disorder? Why should you? Why is that needed? That that should not be asked on there because that's not something that's going to make or break them being in a home, you know? And so they are criticized, belittled Mm -hmm. and demeaned. And, And I think that that's why I love this place too. And I love doing what I do because I am one of them. Mm. I ha- I am lived experience. I, I've lived it. You know, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like for someone to look at you and go, "Oh, well, she's a crackhead," mm-hmm. and that's a stigma. And so, to say that we love them, to say that we accept them, to say that they're great people, they and people that come through have, here have the most talent I've ever seen out of human beings. They can draw, they can paint, they can do hair, they can do nails, mm-hmm. they can. They're so talented, and they're great parents. Many of them have written books. Written books. It's, 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 a, it's hidden gems that society has pushed to the side. Mm-hmm. That until we start to realize we all walk this planet together. Mm-hmm. The children that are coming through here will be the ones that's going to take care of us in the nursing home. Mm-hmm. You better hope that they're good. Mm. 
So you've just given me a, a broad answer to barriers too. I mean, other than stigmatization, housing. I didn't even know that was an issue for housing applicants. I want to talk about more barriers though. So maybe it'll help people in the agency and interns because interns listen to this. And a lot of people have heard of Kirkpatrick, but they don't understand exactly what it is. And I'll get Sandra on here for that. But can you talk to me about the barriers that are in the way of y'all getting the ladies back into society and back on their feet? Because y'all provide a lot with the CCC and, you know, your counseling. Yes, we need housing. (laughs) Um, I just interviewed the housing lady. We need a place to go after they are discharged from here, safe. Because I'd say eight out of ten of them go back to either their abusers mm-hmm. or go back to the home that they came from because we have nowhere to send them. Mm-hmm. When housing is closed, it's closed. We need apartments. We need grants. We need funds. We need somewhere safe that these young ladies can go with their children to start their future. With this being intensive residential, they're not able to work here. They're not able to go to school here a lot of times because we have a structured mm-hmm. environment here where they have to be in class. They have to, you know, complete X, it's Y, full Z. days. Correct. It's full days. So with that being said, we need a vocational house mm-hmm. or something where they can go to afterwards where they would be able to work a year, 15 months, mm-hmm. 24 months even, where they could pay to live there. We could put that in a fund for them to start saving it so that when they get ready to go, they have a good nest egg to start. Yes. Yeah. And in that amount of time, they can find somewhere to go. But but within that, they are able to stay with us and we're able to help them. Okay. And that's what I always like to ask everybody. Okay, if you could do one thing, what would you change? It sounds like that would be... Yes. One of the biggest things you would start with. Because we have resources while they're here. And CCC, because I work for CCC as well. Mm -hmm. I'm the counselor with the CCC program. Oh, hold on. Define CCC. Uh, CCC is Comprehensive Continuum of Care for Females. Mm -hmm. It's a fairly new project. We started it about two years ago. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, and I love it because there's no end date. Mm -hmm. They decide when they're ready to leave us, but we have... A recovery coach and we have two linkage specialists mm-hmm. um, the recovery coach helps them as far as they are their support we do groups online with them mm-hmm. probably about as as often as we can we have get-togethers with them we feed them they mm-hmm. bring their children we play we mm-hmm. talk we have a good time and then our linkage specialist helps them with anything they need as far as diapers, wipes, uh, feminine products, any anything like that. Um, and we also can provide them with uh, documents they need, social security cards, birth yes. certificates, those type of things. Mm-hmm. We're still working on medication. Mm-hmm. The state has not approved that yet, but we're still working on it. But we also help them with transportation. Mm-hmm. We can help them with gas cards. We can help them with bus tickets, train tickets to help them get from A to Z. Wow. All yeah. right. And they're on that lifelong if they choose to They're on it lifelong. And with the funding, we go until it runs out. Mm -hmm. So generally, you know, our funding starts every September. Mm -hmm. So generally, July, August, Mm -hmm. we're we're scrounging. But, you know, we're doing better with helping that extend throughout the year. So we're still working on it. Okay. And just to rehumanize you for everybody listening, I like to end on what everybody's self-care is and how they take care of themselves and their self-compassion. 
So what is yours? Do you have any? Yes. Um, <laughs> next week I'm going camping. <laughs> and I have a fifth wheel. And my husband and I go away where there's no cell phones. <laughs> and we sit out by a fire and enjoy the leaves and the birds and the trees and the dogs. <laughs> Always um, the dogs. Yes. And my self-care is I do a lot outside. Yeah. I have a really peaceful home. I'm thankful for that. Didn't always have that, so I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And I sit out on the porch and just enjoy. Preferably where no one's talking. Because <laughs> someone's talking to me 12 hours a day. So, yep, that's my self-care. Okay. As long as we can sit silently, I'm good. All right. That's how you decompress after yes. a long day. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Miss Trisha, for coming on and dumbing things down for me and letting us get a little bit more insight on this disorder. Absolutely. <laughs>